I went with Marilyn to a, a mall down in St. Louis, I don't know, leading up to uh, Christmas, and she wanted me to find a store. And I went to the map, and there's all these stores, but they forgot something on the map. They forgot to tell me where I was. Uh, and, you know, that's, that doesn't do a whole lot of good, does it? To, to go to a mall map that tells you everywhere you can go, but doesn't tell you where you are. And I think that's really important. You've got to know where you are so you can proceed. I think that's true in a mall, on the road, and uh, even when traveling through life to our heavenly destination, every man must know where he is in relation to God before he can be directed home. Now, the Apostle Paul realized this, and That's why he goes to such pains in the first three chapters of his letter to the Romans to make sure we realize just exactly where we are in relation to God. He began with the unrighteous, showing how they are lost in the darkness of their own choosing. They suppress the truth of God. They choose to believe lies and then create their own God. Because of this, God gives them over to impurity, perversion, and depravity. There can be no doubt about where the unrighteous are in relation to God. Paul has made this very clear. And we can almost see those who were reading this letter for the first time nodding their heads in agreement. But Paul doesn't stop there. He's not going to let the self-righteous off the hook either. He knows how easy it is for us to look at someone else and fail to see our own condition. He knows we can always find someone who is worse than we are, someone who makes us look good and enables us to gloss over our sins. So Paul doesn't let us look at the other guy for long. He gets downright personal and stops talking about them and starts talking about us. He shifts gears in chapter 2 by saying, Therefore, you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice The same things. Now that's pretty harsh. He's saying, yes, the unrighteous pagans are lost because they disobey God. But so do you. In fact, they're a bit more honest about their sin than you are. They do what they know to be wrong and they approve and encourage others to do the same. But you do what you know to be wrong and then just condemn others who do it. You don't condemn yourself. And it is easy for us to see the other guy's faults and to condemn him. It's not so easy to see our own faults. Paul's not going to let us stay self-righteous for long. He debunks our system of judging relative goodness and badness by reminding us of God's standard of judgment. 
And he begins by pointing out that God judges according to truth. Verses 2 through 5. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of the stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Literally, it begins... And we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. You know, it's easy for us to overlook our sins. Psychologists tell us that we all have mental images of ourself, and they're usually pretty good. Sometimes we feign humility to get someone else to tell us how nice we are. But on the whole, we think we're okay. You know, others have sins. We have faults. Others lie. We protect our interests. Others are irritable. We are overworked. Most of us feel God should slap our hands occasionally, but... Few of us would admit that God should condemn us. You know, we're not that bad. We're only human, but we're not that bad. Well, God sees us as we really are. He sees through the social facade we've built and calls things as they really are in our lives. What we call sickness and blame on environment, God calls sin. He's not impressed by our semantic escapism. He's not afraid to tell us exactly what we deserve and just how rebellious we really are. In fact, he's already told us in the scriptures. You know, one of the most important things about God's word is that it tells us the truth about ourselves. In fact, the only place we see ourselves as we really are is in Scripture. Human authors see us from a human, distorted perspective, but Scripture reveals us from God's perspective. In the Scriptures, we discover how we have fallen short of God's plan, how we have violated his will and how we have prostituted his gifts. There we discover how base the human heart is because it's there that we discover how we treated his son, the only pure and perfect man to ever live. And it's there that God compares us to the perfect standard, not to each other. God's judgment of us is true. He knows the truth about us better than we know it ourselves. And let's not kid ourselves. 
Just because God hasn't thundered down judgment on us doesn't mean we are okay. It just means he's patient. We haven't fooled him. Tricked him into blessing us. He's giving us a little headroom in the hopes that we will discover the truth about ourselves and make the moves that will enable him to forgive us and cleanse us. So God's judgment is according to truth, according to things as they really are. Next, Paul tells us that God judges according to our deeds. Verses 6 through 8. Speaking of God, it goes on. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. Now, this doesn't mean that we can work our way into heaven. This does not teach a balance sheet judgment that God is keeping track of all of our good deeds and our bad ones, and if the good ones outweigh the bad, we'll slip through the gate. It's not teaching that. It may sound like this at first, but Paul would not be contradicting what he will make very clear in chapter 3, that no man can be saved by his works. He's simply pointing out that God judges us by our deeds, because our deeds reflect our response to the truth we have. Whether we have accepted the truth he has given us and in faith acted upon it or not. And God does expect us to act upon the truth we have. And he judges our response, our faith, by what we do with it. If he sees we are sincere about doing what is right and we persevere in doing good, Paul says God will give us eternal life. Now, that does not mean we can gain eternal life without the sacrifice of Jesus. It simply means that God will see to it that anyone who perseveres in doing good will be given the opportunity to be saved through his son. That if we continue to obey what we know of God and his will for us, he will make it possible for us to be saved. To be saved through the only one through whom anyone can be saved, the way, the truth, and the life. And God has even demonstrated a willingness to personally give to those who do good and obey the truth the opportunity to know who can save them. He did it for Cornelius and the Ethiopian eunuch. Cornelius was a Gentile who did good for God's people and who prayed. 
but did not know how to enter into a relationship with God. So God sent an angel to tell him to send for Peter, who told him how. The Ethiopian traveled to Jerusalem to worship, and he read the scriptures, but he didn't understand the role of the Messiah. So God sent Philip to him in the middle of the desert to explain it to him. In both of these examples, God made it possible for an individual who persevered in doing good and obeyed what truth they had to be told by a believer how to receive the gift of eternal life through his son. But what if there is no one God can send? Is it possible for God to give eternal life to someone who perseveres in doing good and obeys what truth they have, but doesn't have the opportunity to learn about Jesus? In other words, can a man be saved by Christ without knowing Christ. The Old Testament saints lived and died before Christ came to earth. So it was impossible for them to know him. And they really didn't understand how the Messiah God promised to send to them would save them. But they trusted that he would. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteous. God considered him to be righteous because of his faith, and he became a friend of God without actually knowing God's Son. Is it possible that God may do the same today for someone who perseveres in goodness, and obeys what truth they have without actually knowing of Jesus' sacrifice for them on the cross? I don't know, but I hope so. But even if it is true, we are not excused from obeying the Great Commission. God sent Peter and Philip to share the gospel with those who didn't know it. He didn't just save them by himself. And it is his desire and our privilege to be a part of his making eternal life possible for others. So I don't know if God will today save someone who doesn't know his son but yet save them through the sacrifice of his son. I do not know. What I do know for sure is that if made aware of God's provision for his sin, a truly good man will eagerly receive the Savior God has provided. If he's only a respectable sinner trying to appear good, he will reject the offer of grace that makes him obligated to live a life that reflects gratitude for what God has done for him. So our deeds are the basis of judgment. 
because they reveal whether or not we have accepted the grace and the truth God has given to us. Then Paul makes it clear that God judges without partiality, verses 9 through 11. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to every man who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. God is not impressed by our religious connections or our religious ancestry. Now that would be especially hard for those of Jewish ancestry to take. They felt they were in a privileged position just because they were Jewish. They taught that God would judge the Gentile with one measure and the Jews with another. That Abraham sits by the gates of hell and does not permit any wicked Israelite to go through. They prayed, while therefore thou dost chasten us, thou scourgest our enemies a thousand times more. <laughs> Sadly, that kind of thinking didn't disappear with the coming of Christ. I'm afraid there are still many who feel that because they are church members or their father was a pillar in the church or they have donated something of worth to a religious organization that God will use a different standard for them than he uses for those with no connections. Paul says that's not so. God judges and rewards everyone on the same basis. It doesn't matter to him who it is who is doing evil. And it makes no difference whether those sins are notorious sins or respectable sins. He treats all sin alike. Now obviously the temporal consequences of sin vary. Some sins wreak more havoc in our lives than others. But evil is evil, and sin is sin, and any sin cuts us off from a holy God. So God treats the respectable sinner just as he does the notorious one. Your respectability, your acceptance, and the approval you have from society mean nothing to God. God's not impressed by who you are or what you've done if it falls short of accepting his son. God judges without partiality. And finally, God judges according to opportunity, verses 12 through 16. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. 
For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternatingly accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. You know, many think God is unfair, even unjust, when told that he will condemn people who have never heard of him. Now, as we've noted, at one time God did, and he may still grant eternal life to those who persevere in doing good, who seek for glory and honor and obey the truth revealed to them without having heard the gospel. But Paul does make it clear that he will condemn men to hell who have never heard of him. They will not, however, be condemned because they don't know him or the law. Paul states that in no uncertain terms. He says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. God judges every man on the basis of the truth he has. If you disobey the truth you have, even though you have never heard of Moses or Christ, you perish. Not because you didn't hear of Moses and the law or Christ and the gospel, but because you disobeyed the truth you did have. God never holds a man accountable for a sin of ignorance. If you don't know, God won't charge you with that sin. But that doesn't mean you're home free. Because he will charge you with violating what you do know. And there is not a man, woman, or child who doesn't violate what they know to be right. So God doesn't condemn us solely for rejecting his son. We condemn ourselves by not being what we know we ought to be. Every one of us falls short of what we know we should do. The man who knows the law as well as the man who doesn't know the law. And if the grace of God is not received by striving to do good and trusting that he will or has provided the means whereby we can be saved, we are condemned. So every man is judged fairly and God is justified in condemning everyone. Because all have sinned. No one can say they didn't have a chance. We all had a chance and we all blew it. It's not only by the grace of God, or it is only by the grace of God and the sacrifice of his son that anyone can be saved. And all who fail to trust in his provision will be condemned. God's judgment is fair. 
And on the basis of his judgment, every man is condemned. Paul's not going to allow any of us to assume we're okay because we're better than anyone else. We are all judged according to truth, according to our deeds, without partiality, and on the basis of what we know. And on this basis, we all find ourselves lost. And that is exactly what Paul wants us to discover. Because we have to know we're lost before we're willing to be found. We have to know where we are before we can follow directions home. Paul goes the extra mile to make sure we realize that only God can save us, that we can't save ourselves, that we've all been judged fairly and found guilty. The good news is that God has made it possible for all of us to come back into fellowship with him through his son. He can and will save us if we'll confess our need and let him do it. We can still get home if we'll follow the way of the cross. Let's stand and celebrate that this morning.